0: Hello, friends. Welcome to the Everyday Mulemanship Podcast. I'm Ty Evans, and I hope you're having a great day wherever you are in this amazing world. Uh, Today, I'm going to do a debrief, Um, and usually you guys get to hear me do a debrief each clinic, but for the past three weeks in a row, I've been holding these semi-private group clinics uh, here in Utah, and I thought it'd be fun to kind of put them all together because... You know, There's only a handful of people who come to these, and um, I thought it'd be kind of fun to to put them together and talk about each one and, and uh, kind of go from there. But before I get into the debrief today, I want to thank our sponsors at RomanHome.com. That's RomanHome.com, R-O-A-M-I-N-H-O-M-E.com. And Roman Home, they build awesome tents. My friend Ben Lewis over there uh, has designed this amazing hybrid tent. That's basically a cross between a a wall tent and a range teepee. If you are familiar with those, both amazing tents in their own respects. Um, but, uh, he's combined these two and made a really cool tent. And, uh, if you want to check out what he has to offer, go to romanhome.com. I know they have a deal going on right now, get 500 bucks off this tent and it's well worth your, it's well worth your money. It comes with a, a really cool wood-burning stove. Ben just uh, brought mine by the other day, and it's really cool. So check them out, romanhome.com. So a clinic debrief here. Um, first of all, let me explain what these clinics are because these are completely different from what we usually do. So these are called semi-private group clinics. And what we do typically is we have five people and... It's limited to five so that I can focus on each person and each animal and give a lot of a lot of one-on-one help. Now, you, most of you listening have probably been to a clinic, a regular clinic, and I do a lot of one-on-one help anyways. But these semi-private clinics are four days long, and they're all day long. Um, so uh, I hope these folks didn't, didn't get too sick of me <laughs> over the, the past few weeks here. Um, but we had quite the variety of people and mules and horses. And it was a lot of fun. Um, every person comes to these with, with basically a list of things that they want to accomplish. I send out an email and I say, okay, I want you to bring a list of your top 10 things you want to do. And then on day one, I have them share that with me. And basically each day of the clinic. We go through this checklist and when we get to the pieces that, you know, each participant needed help with, we would address it. I'd give them tips and help and observance and everything they needed so that they could get that better. And I told them my number one goal was was not that they fix all the problems, you know, quote problems, or not that they get all this stuff settled or that everything's figured out. But my goal for each person was that when they pulled out of my driveway on the last day after we got done, that they could go home with a plan that they knew what they needed to work on and what their animals needed help with and what they needed to improve on. And, um, I hope that all these individuals as they pulled out of the driveway here, I hope they, they, they knew exactly what they needed to do. Um, now the things that people come to work on were were um, an amazing variety. I mean, everything from particular movements and maneuvers to obstacles to relationship building—you um, name it. Uh, hobbling, um, learning how to tie your makati up so you can tie your mule or your horse up. I mean, it, there was there was a, a, quite a range of things that people wanted to work on, and that kept it really fun for me. This is a nice change up in, for me personally, doing these clinics. I I, And I I really enjoy them because it just kind of, you know, I I feel like um, sometimes in in the regular clinics, you know, we kind of go through the class and, you know, I I don't always know who I help or how I help them. But when people show up to these semi-private clinics and they have a list, it's kind of a list that I can see. And we can kind of go down that list and kind of check it off and I say okay so do you know what you need to do here do you know what you know what what, what is this going to take do you understand um and they say yeah okay I'm good uh you know cuz a lot of these things do take a lot of time you know you can't get it done today but it takes some time one of the coolest parts of these semi private clinics is basically the format and every year and actually every clinic I tweak the format just a little bit uh, to, to make it better. And next year will be different than this year, but uh, I kind of do these little tweaks to it. And basically, this is what we did every day. Okay. So, every day we started with a morning chat. And these morning chats were probably my favorite part of the clinic. This is probably the best part uh, because we could sit there together and we didn't have to worry about horses dragging us around or, or mules you know, hollering in your ear or, you know, they could totally just relax and focus and we could have these chats. And basically we would go over our goals. So, so we, we go over the, these lists that I've, I've told you about and people tell me, okay, I want to work on this, this, and this. And I say, okay, well, I think we can get to this and this today. And, um, you know, we discuss kind of how the checklist works, how this process works. Um, every day I kind of give them a little motivational talk. So I talked on, you know, each day would be a little different chat. One day I'd I'd chat on the process and one day I would chat on, uh, you know, building relationships and controlling your emotions or just kind of whatever come up depending on the day before. Uh, but I kind of give them some kind of motivational chat and, uh, you know, I enjoyed that. And, and then, probably the funnest part of each of these classes or each day of, of this morning chat was I had to open up my mule journal. And if you've been listening to this podcast very long, you've heard me talk about my mule journal and it's a, it's a journal where I, I write down, you know, quotes that I, 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 hear that I like that I want to remember. I write down experiences that I've had with mules or horses or donkeys. Um, I write down thoughts that come to mind. Uh, maneuvers that really work or maneuvers that I think of that I, I should work on or do um, anyways it's just a bunch of scribbles in a, in a in a book actually I got multi, multitudes of these these journals here um, but uh, anyways I, so I pulled out one of these journals and and I'd just say okay friends let's see what the universe has to say to you today and I would just flip open a random page. And I'd usually try to read the very, you know, the very first note at the beginning of the page. And sometimes they were maneuvers or whatever. And I'd kind of, you know, go down a little bit. But it was really fun because a lot of times I'd open up to these quotes and or these these notes or or these thoughts that I that I have I've had in the past and written down. And it would fit that person really well for what they needed to hear. And um, that was probably my favorite part of of each day was, was reading those, those thoughts out of my journal, uh, to each individual. I'd, I'd, I'd give one to every person personally. So that was kind of fun, you know, and then after to finish up the morning chat, we'd, we'd kind of make some plans for the day and talk about what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. After our morning chat, we, uh, went to practicing. We went out the arena, got to work and everybody starts out exactly the same every day. And this is one of the hardest things to teach and to get people to actually practice and do. But going through that process regularly. So everybody starts off the same. We start off with the groundwork. Everybody does that. And then we climb the checklist at our own level. And it doesn't take long for us to be at completely different levels each person. And so as as we're climbing up that list, whenever the person, the participant got to their you know, a challenging spot or what we call the wall. Uh, basically when things are getting really difficult, um, we'd have a chat about it and say, okay, well, this is what you should do. or This is how maybe you should try going about it. Um, try this, try that. Uh, and we'd kind of work at it like that. And it was fun because, you know, we're all, we're in there, this little group working together, but at the same time, it's, everybody's getting their own little personal clinic. I just kind of make my rounds to each person and check on them, see how I could help them, how I could serve them. and it seemed like most of them really enjoyed that the other thing too is i i give them plenty of time just to practice and work on their own without without bugging them or or talking to them too much or taking too much of their time because a lot of times the, their questions would be answered in the morning chat if they had a question on what to do here or there we'd discuss it and then their practice time was was the time to go implement it so i i'd let them kind of figure this out and everybody could go at their own pace whatever they want. It doesn't matter how far you get. And we typically, you know, practice there, um, you know, in the arena tail just before lunch. And then the last few minutes before lunch, every day, I give the participants a challenge, just something. And sometimes it'd be working cows. uh, Sometimes it'd be some, some cone exercise or, you know, maybe some obstacles or maybe a maneuver. And we had all kinds of stuff whatever fit them. and some might challenge more than others for sure. But we kind of would finish up the day with or the morning, basically with with this challenge. And then we'd have lunch. and uh, they're typically a short lunch. Some you know, we'd just grab a sandwich real quick, and then we'd jump in the truck and uh, go out to right on the mountain. Um, we got all kinds of trails all over here and in, in Utah, both on private ground and some on public ground. And we'd go ride and, and have a good time and, and just relax and just kind of let all these things sink in out there on the trail. And and that was a great way to, to finish up every every work day. So that format was just really fun, I think. And, and I hope all the participants enjoyed it. It seemed as if they did. So that's kind of what we did every day. I want to jump into a few of these lessons learned and, and things that worked that uh, I I've just been keeping highlights over the last few weeks and I thought I'd just, um, share a few, a few of these with you. Uh, one of the first lessons that come up was on how to keep your mule moving and keep the life in the body, keep them going without you having to sit there and kick and kick and kick and kick. And What was happening is, or what happens often is, is maybe if we have something that, uh, you know doesn't want to move out very well we we'll sit there and we'll kick and we'll kick and we'll kick and um and we get in the habit sometimes of just bumping them along and maybe you can think of a time that you've done this to one of your horses or mules and and uh, or maybe you have one like this that where man you just got to kick them the whole time to to go down the trail or or ride in the arena or whatever it is you got to hustle them the whole time and and this is undesirable to me. I don't, I don't want to have to have to do this all the time, uh, kicking and kicking. So this is the, the formula. And it doesn't matter if you've been riding the mules for 10 years or not, but this is how I go about doing it. I, it's just like I do my very, very first ride on a colt. I'll have a little life in my body, and I'll be thinking about how fast I want to go and where I want to go. So I have the intention there. And then if I need to, I'll come in with my legs and I will bump. And as soon as the mule even tries to move, and I don't care what speed it goes, as soon as it just tries to move, I stop bumping. That way you can learn, hey, go, and the pressure will go away, making the right thing easy and the wrong thing difficult, the wrong thing being just standing there, the right thing being moving, making that easy. And I will do this until I don't have to kick. And this is this is the part, people want to go too fast too soon. They want to try to hold this speed too quick. And then they get to where, well, the mule started to slow down, so I wanted to bump it before it slowed down all the way. And I say, that's fine in the future. That's going to be just fine in the future. But when you're first teaching the mule to go, this is probably the biggest mistake people make, is not really truly helping them develop good forward motion. This needs to happen without you having to kick them the whole time. So you got to reward them for going, but so many times we wanted to hold. So we'll come in there and kick just to keep them walking. So what I had uh, a few of these, these folks do here is I'd have them apply it. Like I mentioned earlier, put a little life in their body, come in with their legs as needed, think about where they want to go and how fast they would like to go there and then just get that animal moving. As soon as they start moving, take off your leg, but keep writing, keep your body life in your body uh you know keep the life there as if you you're you you you're going toward your destination you're planning it you're you're thinking about it keep that life going in your body but don't kick them the whole time well what would happen is as you can probably imagine they'd kick the mule would take a step they'd stop kicking the mule would stop all right this is something that should have been fixed up at your very very first ride on your mule so A few of them just worked at that, just to where they could just walk, just walk the thing. I didn't care how fast, just walk without having to kick them. And then we started to say, okay, now let's try to maintain. And then that's where the other part comes in where, yeah, you can kind of just give them a little bump to keep maintaining. But the thing is, is you don't want to get hung up and having to kick them to move the whole time. So this is probably one of the most important lessons. And then it it fades into being able to hold a trot without kicking them the whole time and being able to hold a lope without kicking them the whole time. Uh, but if you can't get it at the walk, well, I don't know how you think you're going to get it at the trot or the lope or, you know, a fast walk or, or whatever it is. So anyways, hopefully that little formula might help you because I see that quite a bit in the clinics. People having to kick them and kick them and kick them and kick them to keep them going. And I've been there a million times on a million meals, it feels like. Uh, just do the best you can. The other lesson that came up was every time you touch your reins, it should mean something. It's got to mean something. So w- when I pick up on my reins, when I touch my reins, it, it means, hey, mule, get ready. I'm about to ask you a question. I'm about to to, this is going to have some real meaning. But so many times we pick up our reins, and we we don't do anything with them, or they don't really have meaning, or or we we sometimes we talk with our hands while they're attached to the reins, and this can send your send poor signals to your mule, uh, send confusing signals to your mule, send conflicting signals to your mule, and uh, it's not a desirable thing. So. Pay attention to your hands. Pay attention to your reins. And when you touch the reins, when you pick up on it, it should mean something. And more specifically, when you pick up on them reins, there should be a quest, a question behind that physical movement. So you're not just doing it randomly for no reason. And you're not, you know, as you've heard me say, you're not being a jerk. You're not just jerking on these reins. It should have some meaning to it. And so, I had a few of the participants just consciously pay attention to the reins and their hands and how often did you pick up on those reins and you didn't have a question. And a few of them said, man, I just, there's a huge difference here. Like my mule's already more responsive. That's because there's some meaning there. You're not just doing it at random. You are aware and you're paying attention. So that was kind of fun to, to see the changes there too. Now another lesson to come up Uh, And it came up, uh, the first two weeks, actually, was a water crossing. Uh, The first week, uh, my good friend Bonnie Brown was there with her mule Susie Q, and Susie Q didn't really want to cross the water. And and then the next week, uh, my friend Scott was there with his his mule Fancy, and and she didn't really want to cross the water. And one of the cool things about these semi-private clinics is we get to just take the time that it takes. There's no hurry. and every person it seemed almost every person not all of my guests but almost every one of them said you know what it it was just really fun each you know each ride to just take the time to work at whatever we needed to work at we didn't have to hurry there's no destination Uh, there's no place that we have to be there's no time limit we can just take our time and 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 work at it and a lot of them really enjoyed that, and this come up especially in the water crossings with Bonnie and with Scott and their mules. And a lot of people get to like a water crossing like this, and they want to just hustle that thing across, and kind of make them go. And uh, and now don't get me wrong, there's times that I will need to block the mule with my legs or my reins, my seat, whatever, and and keep them centered. But one thing that's really handy, and I had Bonnie and Scott both apply this, was Just go up to the water and just sit there. You don't have to cross it now. Just go be there. A lot of times, you know, as we're coming up on the water, you, you you already start to brace up because you know, there might be a fight. Oh man, my, my horse doesn't like to cross. My mule doesn't like to cross water. What am I going to do? And you already start your fight before you've even gotten there. So one thing I like to do, especially if I'm riding one that has maybe developed this brace is I'll just ride up to the water. And just stand there. And I had Bonnie and Scott both just ride up to it and stand there. And then, as we were working, I gave them a few instructions on, you know, when to ask a little bit more and when to release. And one of the most challenging things is to be able to feel those feet when they give you some effort. A lot of people can feel the front feet when they're in an obstacle situation like this, but they can't feel the back feet, but as I'm trying to get closer to the water or go in the water, I need to be able to reward for each foot trying. And so that was one of the biggest lessons was releasing when they try, even the slightest try, and then letting the meal kind of investigate too, um, let them just, just sit there and think a little bit. We don't have to be in a big hurry. And this seemed to work really nicely. And in fact, I think it took us less time by letting the mule just just hang out for a minute and not getting into this big battle, this big fight, which I've been in many times and I don't recommend, uh, just hanging out for a little bit. Let them check it out. No big deal. And it's also nice too, because I was I was riding, a, I think both of these times I was riding this a, a nice young colt, a three-year-old named Hannah. This is really good with the water and all that. So I just basically went and stood in the water and just hung out there while they let their mule kind of investigate and and search it out for themselves. And that seemed to help a bit too, because that animal had a little bit of of a draw towards my mule. So, you know, the other thing that was kind of nice every day, and I mentioned these morning chats that we had. But being able to really talk about mealmanship, and this is something that a lot of us don't get the opportunity to really do a lot, even though, I mean, even myself, I, I mean, I talk mealmanship every week and and I get a, you know, do clinics every week, but I don't actually get the same experience as I had here at these semi-private clinics enough. Because uh, we'd spend sometimes an hour, sometimes two hours every morning, just talking mealmanship philosophy Talking about maybe we should do this, maybe we should do that. What do you do when when this happens? How do you prevent this from happening? Uh, you know, how do you build a relationship? How do you keep a relationship you know, with your animals and, and things like that? And that was probably one of the, the best things. And I think every day us talking about mealmanship and things, you know, talking about how things how we'd like things to be, how we'd like these things to go it set us up for success each day as we rode. So there's something about spending that time thinking about it, talking about it. I'm not saying you have to talk to somebody every day, but maybe some, you know, one thing I suggested to a few of the participants was, hey, you know what, when you go home, keep this up. Every morning, This have this little chat, even if you're by yourself, about mealmanship and philosophy and, and kind of think about it a little bit and how you could be better Um, you know, that mind is a powerful thing. And if we can do a good job of getting ourselves in the right frame of mind before we even go out to the barn, it, it does so much good. And I think preparing yourself before you go out and work with your mule is probably more important than the work you actually do with the animal. Because if you come in there with a good frame of mind, um, you know, it'll do you a lot of good. I mean, it's just, the results are, they speak for themselves. Okay. Now, another little lesson that come up here that I wanted to share, I thought was important, was you don't have to get it all done in one day. And I kind of mentioned this earlier in, in a roundabout way, but like I mentioned, uh, each one of these participants showed up with their top 10 things they wanted to work on. And like I mentioned, also, they were all over the place on what these things were. Nobody really came with the exact same pieces. But sometimes when we have, when we, you know, when we write these things down and we really want to work at these things and we kind of put it out there, Sometimes we feel like we got to get it done right now or we got to fix it today. We got to get it done today. And that was one of the very first things I told all the participants all three weeks was I want you to to keep these goals in the forefront of your mind. But remember, you don't have to get it all done in one day. You you got to build a little at a time. And sometimes we forget we're not working with a mechanical piece of equipment here. We're not working on a, on a tractor. We're not working on a truck. We are teaching an animal. We are working with a physical body. Um, we're dealing with a brain, a thinking operating brain. Um, you're dealing with an animal that thinks and feels and understands, misunderstands. And, and, uh, so We don't have to get it done in in one day. Um, There's a few things that people ask me about that they wanted to work on that we never actually worked on that thing. Um, One of them come with a goal to get better about trailer loading. Now, it was pretty handy with these semi-private clinics that we loaded up and went riding somewhere every afternoon to kind of take it easy and relax a little bit. Um, you know, on the first day, they were a little hard to load in the trailer. I didn't work at it a whole lot. I put them in one or two, three times in and out. We kind of done, you know, went through the process of the trailer loading. Just took four or five minutes. No big deal. It ain't like the animals impossible to load. Of course, they were able to get in the trailer and get it down to my place. So it's not like it was, it was crazy about it, but you know, At the end of the week, I said, do you notice how much we actually just worked on trailer loading? They said, well, you just loaded them up every day to go for a ride. And they got better every day. I said, loading them up and going for our ride every day is not what has got your mule or your horse better about loading. It's the work that we've done to prepare them mentally and physically. All these moves and stuff, all this groundwork we've been doing, all the good riding we've been doing, that is what prepared that animal to be good about loading in the trailer and then actually yeah applying it yeah we did load in the trailer every day but just just twice we loaded up to leave my house then we unloaded when we got to the trail around the mountain or whatever and then we loaded back up to head back home so in 4 days you know your animal got to load and unload 8 times and that was good practice but it wasn't like we spent Hours and hours on the trailer work, but I was, but I was trying to hope they understood though. Is is you know just do a little at a time, day by day, and they'll get a little better every day. And I don't, you guys have heard me talk about it before, but I'm not a perfectionist. I just try to be a betterist. I just want to be a little better today than I was yesterday. So, anyways, that was kind of fun. We're going to take a quick break right now and thank one of our sponsors. And, uh, when I come back, I'm going to finish chatting about this, this, uh, semi-private clinic debrief and, uh, we'll be right back in a second here. Hey, I want to jump on here real quick and give a big shout out to my buddy Colton Airing, um, if you're looking for a good custom-built saddle that fits mules and fits you, you need to check out Colt Saddlery. You find them on Facebook. Colt salary, and uh, tell him Ty sent you. He will take good care of you. Okay, we are back with our debrief um, of our the last three uh, weeks. We've been doing these semi-private clinics here at my place in Utah. Been just an amazing three weeks. Went by really fast for me. Uh, but I've enjoyed every minute of it, and the amazing people that have come. So, you know, I kind of want to highlight oh everybody that that come here, and because uh, I'm pretty sure everybody that come to these has been listening to the podcast and they enjoy it. So, there's a few things that come up, and for each person, and and this isn't exactly what uh, you know. Not exactly what they showed up wanting to work on, although some of them it is, but, you know, um, it, in a roundabout way, it just kind of ended up being something. So I just want to highlight every person because there's only a few of them here. i want to start with uh, Janet Heslin. So Janet was part of our group, uh, our, our week one group here. And she had a particular thing she wanted to work on uh, of getting her mule good about ponying. Now, the mule that, that she was riding was actually intimidated by the mule that she was ponying because the mule that she wanted to pony, her, her other mule, uh, kind of was the boss of the herd. that right? Kind of wanted to push the other one around all the time. So she wanted some tips on getting her mule uh, Loretta about uh, better about pony. and so one thing that uh, I found that really helps prepare your mule to pony another mule is to be able to drag a log. So we kind of start with that. We got her good about dragging a log, and that seemed to go better. And then I give her some directions on how to start ponying the mule and keep it as simple as you can be, as simple as you can, to be successful here. Um, and what I like them to do is i like i like my ride mule to basically be making a bigger circle on the outside and i'll have my ponying mule, my pack mule or whatever on the inside of the circle so if you can picture it we're making a big circle clockwise and i got the mule that i'm ponying in my right hand and i got my reins of my ride mule in my left hand and that's how i'm going to go about it um, cause sometimes when you go off counterclockwise, it brings your, your pack mule's head closer to your ride mule's butt. And some will be bothered by that. They'll be intimidated like this mule was. So I start by poning that mule in the inside and little by little, I start by making little one eighth or quarter turns to the left. So it brings that mule's head closer to my ride mule's butt and little by little, I help them get more used to it. And I also really like them to trot. So I'll get them into a trot while I'm making that big clockwise circle. And that seems to help quite a bit too. You trot for a little bit. And of course you got to consider before I pony behind a mule, I want to have a a decent handle. I need to be able to have decent control of their four quarters. I don't have to, they don't need to be finished bridle mule. Uh, But they need to be decent, uh, obviously, about moving these four quarters so that you can operate one-handed. And Janet had this going already, so that was a big help to her. You know, and it really didn't take very long. You know, I just, before the break, I was mentioning about how you don't have to get it all done in one day, but being able to pony is is one thing that you can get pretty good in a day's time. It doesn't take you that long because they kind of settle in. And also, don't forget, they are herd animals, so, you know having their pal right there with them is not such a bad thing after a little while. So anyways, that was, that was something that kind of stuck out for Janet or, or, you know, kind of made me uh, take note of for Janet. She worked on a lot of things, but that was something that was kind of fun that I wanted to share with you guys. Now my, fu- my friend at uh, Jerry Myers was there. Now you've heard Jerry on the podcast before. Great man from Idaho and him and his wife were there and, and Jerry's been working with his mule, Shadow, on trying to get this mule to lope without wanting to buck. <laughs> and he's been working at it. He's been working at it for over a year now. So talk about, you know, not being able to get it done in one day, right? He's been working hard at this because Shadow has has given him quite a bit of trouble at the lope. And it's not like he's wanting to get it on and, and you know, have a bronc riding. It's just that he wants to crow hop a bit. And so Jerry's been working at this, and and finally for this clinic, I said, you know, Jerry, this is what I want you to do. I want you to show me how you can just trot on course on loose rain. And so he got to working at that, and boy, he had trouble just trotting on course on loose rain. And I, and I said, okay, you see how you're we're having so much trouble just being able to trot on course. What makes you think we'll be able to lope on course on loose rain without having these issues? So Jerry spent a good deal of time going from the walk to the trot. And trying to do it on a loose rein and trying to be smooth about it. And he worked at it for, you know, every day there. And little by little, by the end, by the fourth day, he had shattered to where he could lope with very little trouble. Basically, no no trouble at all uh, around the arena. No big deal. But it was, it wasn't that he worked at the lope. I had him working on that walk to trot transition over and over. And that seemed to help them. And so if you are out there listening and you're dealing with a mule that wants to give you a little trouble, maybe when you want to lope, you might check that out. Work at that trot, the walk and the trot and that transition. It's the transition, it's the change that seems to do a really good job of getting these animals better about holding a lope or a trot or whatever. Now, Jerry's wife, Sid, did not have a great clinic. Um, The first day during the lunch break, Sid was just playing in the arena, and um, she kind of went a little too quick with this mule, went through, you know, well, basically it was just as quick as this. I, I was getting ready to load up so we could head out at lunchtime, And when I went to load my mule, she was on the ground doing her groundwork. And then by the time I loaded my mule up and stepped out of the trailer, which you guys probably know how long that takes. I mean, 20 seconds, probably maybe even less than that. I don't know. Uh, But by that time, I stepped out of the trailer and she had already hit the dirt. So in that time, she had got on her mule, asked it to lope, the mule crow hop bucked a little bit, dumped her off, and Sid ended up breaking her pelvis. That ground was not good to Sid. And, oh man, I just... And Sid, she's such a hard worker, and you've heard her on the podcast. She's just a wonderful woman, an amazing human being, um, and she's been working on her colt, Cozy, for a little while and had that going pretty good, and this was actually her her older ride mule that's, you know, typically pretty solid, but, you know, gosh, it just sucked that that happened and it was on day one and, you know, so they went off to the doctor, got everything lined out and, you know, that evening, of course she's sore, not, you know, not happy. Uh, But we have a chat, a chat, you know, during our morning chat the next day and, and we kind of get to talking about it and then I knew I knew why she had that trouble. And I was just waiting for a good time to say it. Because it's kind of kinda of hurt a little bit. But I finally we had the chance and I saw that she was in the right frame of mind. We could talk about it. And I said, You now you know why this all happened. Meaning, how did it happen? And uh said, you know, I got in that trailer. By the time I had my mule loaded up and and I stepped on my my trailer, you had already been on your mule, asked it to lope, and hit the dirt. Now, granted, I would love my mules to be handy enough, and it is my goal to get my mules handy enough that I could just jump on them and lope off. I would love to be able to do that. That's a, a fantastic goal. That's just what she did. And it, and the meal wasn't ready for it, so we talked about this checklist, going through the groundwork, and and then taking your time climbing that ladder, um, climbing that ladder up through your through the writing and, and all that. And we talked about you know the importance of forward motion, and this is one of the biggest glitches. And I mentioned this a little already, but this is probably the main glitch that people get because they do a poor job starting these cults. Is they don't get that forward motion good enough solid enough so you know, later on you have these issues like this because if you followed me very long you know that for a colt starting when i'm starting a colt i need to walk trot and lope within the first five minutes of the first ride i'm going to get that forward motion going and then i'm going to ask that mule to lope sometime during my ride for the first 100 rides really i really need to work on that forward motion that's something that's a very important to me anyways so she had really not went through this checklist and the mule couldn't handle it now i think if i truly think if had she been able to work through these pieces and really take her time this might not happen so that's my tip to you guys is you know don't be in that hurry um and just check on things. Just check on things. Make sure things are looking good before you move on. It won't take you that much time. Anyways, and Sid will tell you the same thing. So, anyways, Sid uh, didn't end up being able to participate. Obviously, she busted her pelvis. So, but she did join our morning chats every day. And, and, uh, you know, Sid's such a great person. She's even happy, even while she's got a busted pelvis. So, anyways, good job, Sid. Way to, Way to hang in there. And, oh, uh, Mr. Jerry, he sent me a text message just the other day. He says, Sid's out there doing her groundwork already. So, anyways, uh, she'll heal up quick and be back in the saddle in no time I know it. Now, I mentioned Miss Bonnie earlier already about the water crossings, but she brought a, a young mule named Susie Q. And, and Susie Q basically was very green uh bonnie really hadn't done a lot with her and so bonnie had quite a lot of dramatic changes in just a short amount of time just a short time of, uh, of the four days she had a lot of progress it seemed like you know um and it feels like that when you're kind of going from the cult starting on up it feels like quick easy uh, dramatic progress usually and uh and this was her case too Bonnie has a way. I, I've seen Bonnie now. It seems like every clinic she comes to, and she's probably been to 20 clinics with me by now, she, she, she brings a mule every, a different mule every time, a new mule every time. And so I've seen her on a variety of animals, and Bonnie can just get along with these animals. It's, it's amazing that, you know, bring a different animal every time, you think, well, you might have some good ones. You might have some that are ups and some downs. And, but consistently every time she's getting along with these animals. And now this is something that we should all be asking why, how come, how come you get along with just about everything? And I think I know why with Bonnie, she has a really positive attitude about how things are going to go for her and her mule. She just has a brightness in her eyes. And and uh you know and she's got a lot of experience 74 years of experience bonnie has you know working with these critters and it really helps but that positive attitude things are going to go right and bonnie is also particular about going through the checklist and you know she just has a a willingness to keep learning uh you know I, i i hope i'm I hope when I'm 74 I have that brightness in my eyes like Bonnie does to keep learning and to get better and to be better. And I think that desire is what brings out something great in all these animals because Bonnie doesn't go into working these mules as if she knows it all. She goes in there with an attitude to learn, and that is really cool to me. And I think that that's what sets her apart and why she can get along with so many. So good job, Bonnie. Now, Miss Jessie Coltrane came along, and I've talked about Jessie here on the podcast before. She's she's a regular clinic attendee and and a dang hard worker. Um, it'd be hard to find somebody that works harder than Jessie at this stuff. And but she brought a mule along named Festus, and uh, Festus is a mule that she's she's been working with. He's he's a colt, more or less. He's only been ridden for a year now, and Pretty green, pretty young, and um, she's had some issues going downhill with this mule and um, also had some issues in transitions, you know, shifting up and shifting down this mule, wanting to crow hop a bit in the transitions and stuff. And, you know, she did a great job of what I mentioned earlier a little bit, the same thing Jerry kind of has been working at being able to shift up and down through these and taking the time it takes. But really, the big thing that kind of just was, was really fun to watch Jesse work through was getting this mule thinking of, of really engaging Festus and getting him mentally engaged. Um, because I, 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 as I'm watching her and as she's telling me how things have been going, it seems as if she's kind of stuck in in this spot and there's not really progress being made. There's not really changes being made. There's not really, the mule just seems to be kind of uh, stuck in this, in this spot. So, so what I have her do is I said, you need to turn things up a little bit. We need to, we need to do a bit more and try to get this mule, you know, thinking And if you know if you know anything about these mules' minds, you know you, you know that you have to you have to bring up a little anxiety. You have to kind of you have to kind of get them a little bit stressed out. And I've talked about this in some previous episodes here, but you have to ask them just enough that it it stresses them out a little bit and get them searching for the answer. Now you got to be careful. If you, if you stress the mule out too much, you know, things aren't going to go great for you. <laughs> you know, it's not going to be good. They're going to go into the flight or fight. So you, you ask them just enough that they feel uncomfortable enough to look for an answer. Now, you know, an example of this is something I had Jesse working on of rolling the hindquarters and returning to the trail. Um, But really hanging in there until the mule is really coming across with the hindquarters nicely. If you don't know what this move is, you can check it out on the video library or you can find it on YouTube. But basically, you're trying to get the inside hind leg to step over and in front of the outside hind leg, rolling the hinds. Some call it turning on the forehand, some call it uh, disengaging the hindquarters, some call it engaging the hindquarters. Um, Lots of names for it, but we call it rolling the hinds and what was happening is she would roll the hinds and the mule would kind of drag his feet and i said hey okay look there So she she'd do a couple of moves here and i say okay look at those tracks and she could see where that mule festus was dragging his inside hind leg in the dirt she could see the tracks and i said we don't want to see those feet dragging i want her i want him picking up the feet and being more engaged and so she kind of had had to hustle him a little bit hustle him just a little bit a little more leg and hang in there until the mule was was actually coming across a little bit better. So by waiting a little longer and doing just a little bit more, she caused the mule enough engagement mentally, a little stress mentally, that he searched for the answer, found it, and then he had let off, and then he, you'd start seeing these big breaths. He'd go, oh, and you start seeing him blink a little bit. He'd kind of work his lips a little bit. He's learning to how, how to self-regulate here, how to had to come off of this anxiety, had to come off of a little bit of the adrenaline. And she saw big improvements over those days by by just getting a little bit more engagement. So that was pretty cool to see, Jesse. You did a good job. Now, another fellow that came was Mark Herschel. Now, Mark, um, this is something... He, he, he did a lot of great things here, but, uh, you know, he had an issue with his knee, getting sore all the time. And, uh, we played with those, those stirrups a little bit. And I said, you know, I asked him, I said, you say your knee's is hurting quite a bit. Have you ever thought about letting those stirrups out a little bit? And, and he liked to ride with a little bit of a bend in his knee. And he said, well, I've thought about it, but I don't know. I, you know, he, he. The, the thought of having the stirrups a little longer, maybe reaching, maybe scared him a little bit. Maybe like he wouldn't be as tight in the saddle. Anyways, he let out that stirrup and he felt quite a bit better, but his, his knees still bothered him. So there's a couple tips I wanted to give you guys. If your knees are hurting you while you're riding, number one, check on the length. It you know Try letting it out a hole or two and see if that helps you and go for a little longer ride there. You know, don't just do it, you know, for five minutes in the arena, go ride for an hour and see what it feels like and compare it to how it felt yesterday. The other thing you can do if you've got some, some knee issues is some people like to put little blocks in their stirrup, and it kind of just changes the angle of how your foot sits in there. And that helps a little bit too. And you can do a little research on those. There's lots of information about putting blocks in stirrups. Now, uh, there's a little, some little dangers in there about getting hung up in the stirrup and it's not recommended if you're a beginner at all or even intermediate. You probably want to be a little bit better rider. But uh, you might check out putting the blocks in there. The other thing though, and this is what I want to talk about with Mark, is I see so many, so many people and no offense to my pals in the Midwest. My Midwest friends are going to, want to kick my butt for this, but I see it most often in the Midwestern states, okay, is people will have latigos with holes in them, punched holes on purpose, (laughs) and they'll have cinches with buckles on them, and they will still tie a knot in the latigo. And then they got this big old wad of latigo sitting right under their knee and then they complain because their knee hurts or it's not comfortable or they can't move their strips easy enough. So those holes in that latigo, in that buckle on your cinch, that's made to work together and you can buckle that cinch so you don't have to have that big old wad of a knot. Now, some people say, well, I like to be able to adjust it easier. I like to have the range of adjustments that, you know, uh, that if I just, cinch it up and tie a knot that offers me, but you know, I've never had any issues and I've been buckling it my whole life on thousands of mules now. And I recommend that I like it nice and smooth under there, under my knee when I ride on both sides. So that's just a little tip and uh, hopefully that helped Mark and hopefully it'll help you. You don't have to tie them big old wad up knots in them latigos. All right. Now, the next fellow I want to mention, and this is just something about him that I thought was really interesting and, and why I think he's going to be successful with mules, is Scott Nichols. And uh, you've heard me mention him on the podcast. He's been a sponsor from uh, the Backcountry Horsemen of Idaho. little shout out to them. Um, Scott had, he he did excellent at asking questions. He, he was a very... Um, interested individual in mulemanship asking questions that 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 maybe made you think a little bit made you it was kind of a little bit of of a push you know you know why why do you do this why why do you do that why does this work why doesn't that work and um he one of his questions one of the days kind of you know basically was kind of geared around okay how, how do you really know if the mule is comfortable, because we talk about, you know, that's the main thing that the mule needs is comfort. And how do you tell, how do you really tell that they are comfortable? And, you know, the thoughts come up, well, how do you know that they're uncomfortable? And, you know, if you can, if you're aware that they're uncomfortable, then you'll know more about them being comfortable. And we talked about these different things and, and, um, he just asked really good questions. But one of his questions kind of rolled around. The one I just mentioned about comfort and, and it kind of went to talking about the difference, differences between training predators and prey. Now, Mark, the fellow I just mentioned, he has trained grizzly bears and, and lions and, and all kinds of, of predators. It's been, he, he was fun to have over here because uh, he had a lot of insight on training predators. And we got to talking about one of the biggest difference in training predators and prey is that, you know, food motivating, um, motivation is, is really effective with predators. You know, you, you give them, you give them some food, you know, like a dog training a dog, right. You give them a treat and that's, it's, it's motivating. Um, and we talked about how, you know, you can also give mules treats and stuff too. And, and whether you like giving treats or not, it is effective. I personally do not recommend giving treats to your mules Uh, but it is effective. I see it. My father-in-law does it all the time. He loves feeding them mules them treats and he gets along just fine. So, you know, I can't argue that it's not effective to some degree, but for me and mine, we don't feed treats. And we were talking about this, and, and in my experience, the mules and the horses, the equine, they need comfort above all else. Because if they're not comfortable, they don't eat. If they're not comfortable, they don't, you know, reproduce. If they're not comfortable, they don't graze. They don't find water. You know, basically, if they're not comfortable, they are in survival mode. That's the flight or fight. And comfort comes above all else. And we were talking about some of these predators, like bears, for example. And, and you know, they don't that predator doesn't have a lot to fear other than us usually, right? Most of them are scared of humans. If you've been around many bears, uh, wild bears are typically, you know, more likely to run away from you than towards you. Um, there's some exceptions, but I mean, nine out of 10, they're going to be scared of you. And, uh, but in their own sphere, in their own world of the wilderness, they don't have a whole lot to worry about. There's not much that's going to intimidate a bear. And so comfort is not necessarily their first go-to or their first need necessarily. Uh, not some, it's not really something they are worried about because they're already there. So they don't have a lot, a lot of worries. And, you know, as we're talking about these domesticated bears and stuff, he's, he's, you know, he's like, yeah, well, they already feel comfortable. You know, they, he's raised these bears and they grew up right there with him. And he's like, they're comfortable. So, the the food motivation is is pretty effective and so we kind of compared this to the equines and you know but that's one of the biggest things that that comes up is is you know what is the most motivating thing what does the animal need most and my answer to that for the equine for the mule for the horse for the donkey is above all comfort if you can offer them comfort you can get along above all. So anyways, I thank you, Scott, for your deep questions and our deep conversations and mulemanship because you led to some very insightful thoughts and and some good stuff, so I appreciate that. Now, the very last group here, uh, three amazing women uh, coming from Kansas and Idaho and Colorado. Um, we had some good stuff go on. So I kind of want to mention each person and something they worked on as well. We're going to start with Renee. Now, Renee came here. One of her main goals was to work on the downhill. Uh, her, her horse Magpie, AKA Maggie, uh, was a little uncomfortable going downhill, go a little fast, toss her head a bit. And Renee didn't feel comfortable. And so each day we kind of worked at this now kind of, it's helpful being here in Utah because everything is up and down. So if we're going to go out on the trails at all, you know, you're, you're going to, you're going to be going up or downhill for sure. And so you can just get experience, whether you want to or not, you're going to get experience with this, but. One thing that I, I shared with her, and uh, hopefully this will help you if you have a, a mule or a horse that, you know, or donkey that's having some issues going downhill, maybe wanting to buck going downhill or, you know, maybe having some issues is, number one, check out your tack. Make sure your tack is fitting well. Make sure your saddle fits well. Um, and one thing that I had, you know, that Renee did, and, and it was great, and I helped her set it up, was even though she's riding a horse, she put her bridging on. And, you know, she lives... In Idaho, and everything in Idaho is also up and down, and so a bridging is very fitting. Even though the horse has decent withers, not not bad, and you know probably get along fine without a bridging, but it's that much more secure, and that security makes a difference in your animal's performance. Not even though your animal might have decent withers, if your saddle slides up on those withers too much and puts too much pressure on those shoulders, you're going to have issues. Even though your your saddle may not slide over its neck you know, uh, there's still going to have some issues. So she put a bridge in on, made sure all the tack fit, everything's looking good. Then the next suggestion to her was to play the game of thirds. And this is how I work an animal that has a hard time going downhill. Okay. Is I'll find a hill and I like to find a hill that's got plenty of room to work at and, and, and maybe something like, I don't know, maybe 60 foot. You know, in in length to the top. Okay, so just a small hill, no big deal. Um, it doesn't have, and I really don't want it like super steep, but steep enough that it's going to test them going downhill for sure, but not steep enough that it's going to burn them out to go up and down a few times. So this is how I play the game of thirds. I'll start at the bottom, and I'm going to go up the hill one third. So let's so say it's a sixty foot hill. I'm going to go up twenty feet. Okay, not very far. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to come back down. If my mule has any trouble going down, toss its head, whatever, uh, any behavior issues that's going on there, I'm going to turn my mule parallel. So I'll try to pick a hill that I can do this on. But I turn them parallel, okay? And I'd ride a couple steps parallel, and then I go back downhill. And again, if there's any trouble, I turn them parallel. Okay, anyways, I go back down. So I just went up 20 feet and down 20 feet. Now, if I couldn't do that first third of that hill without issue. I'm going to do that third again. So again, I'd go up just 20 feet, which is nothing. Turn around, come back down. I will do that 20 foot until I can go up and down without issue. Okay. And then it's time to do the second third. So once that's checked off, I go up to 40 foot. All right. And again, I go down if there's any issues. uh, I'll turn parallel. So I'm picking a hill that I can do this on. you got to use common sense here and, and pick a, a decent hill that you can do this work on, okay? And, and I'll do that second third as many times as I need to until it's checked off. Now, you might notice by now your your horse, your meal might be getting a little tired. That's okay. It's no big deal. This is why you've chosen a small hill. Then you're going to take them up that last third, okay? Now you've gone all the way up to the top. You're 60 foot. Now, the issues come up when you're going downhill Longer and longer and more continuous. So, you know, maybe you got that first twenty foot checked off, and you can go down just fine. But then, as you go to forty and you go to sixty foot, now you're you're going longer downhill. That's more. That's a that's a a longer period of time with pressure on them on their shoulders, on their back, on their withers. Uh, If you're wearing a brushing around their hips, if you're wearing a cooper around their tail, whatever. It's more pressure for a longer period of time. And you're going to see some of that trouble come up. So if if I if I have trouble on that 60 foot, then I'm going to go back down to the 20 and do the 20 over again. Then I'm going to go to the 40, do the 40 over again. Then I'll try the 60 again. If the 60 foot fails, I go back to the beginning and do the 20 foot again. And then do the 40, then do the 60. And, and basically I, I repeat those each third until I can do it the whole thing, without issue. That's the game of thirds. And you might be there a while. But before you do that, like I mentioned, make sure your saddle fits good. Make sure your tack fits good. If those things are checking off, work on the behavior. The behavior might also have to do with how you ride and how you're sitting. If you're leaning too far back, it'll put the pressure on a little wrong. If you're leaning too far forward, it'll put the pressure on wrong. So You know, basically, as they're going down a hill, you like to just sit vertical, um, sit level in the saddle. Okay. So you're kind of sitting in a way that you're just sitting straight up and down, regardless of the grade. All right. So that's what Renee worked on quite a bit among other things. Now, uh, miss Janet Wallace came here and Janet had the very first day she had a little issue crossing a bridge. So there's a couple of lessons here that I want to share. Uh, first of all, when you come up to an obstacle, okay, you got to read your animal what they need and and how they're probably going to respond. So you want to be aware of how things are, might go. Okay, this is the first thing I'm going to check on. Second. When you're coming to an obstacle, like a bridge, because we're crossing, this is a, a pretty good sized bridge going across the river. Um, make it as easy as you can for your animal to say yes. I don't want to go in there picking a fight, going, walking into a gunfight here. I, I want this to be successful. We're on the same team. The mule and I, the horse and I, the donkey and I, we're on the same team here. Okay. And Third, you need to understand that you can't control anybody else around you. And the only thing you need to be worried about is you and yours and yourself. Okay. So here's kind of the scenario. Um, Janet says, hey, I want to work on crossing that bridge. Okay, fine. We're at the end of our ride. We're done. Go ahead and go across the bridge. And and I'm headed toward the bridge. I'm kind of out in the lead. and. My daughter's behind me, and we're headed toward the bridge, and Janet hollers, I'd like to do it by myself. I'd like to not follow you. I'd like to be able to go first. Okay. So we back off, and she gets maybe 10 foot away from the bridge, and the horse says a hard no. Her horse's name is Gypsy, and Gypsy says, hair no. I ain't doing it. It's a hard no. It's a quick no. Now, I had noticed a little bit of a a, a pattern with Janet, and I had been fixing to talk to her about it during the next morning's meeting, but it came up here and we kind of talked about it there. What was happening a lot of times, this horse would give these hard no's and like kind of want to rear up or put pressure back on Janet. And she could get Janet to yield quick. She could get Janet to quit very quickly. And this was happening. And so Janet comes up to this bridge and this horse has a hard no, starts to rear up and kind of go backwards a bit. And then then kind of want to kind of, you know, do a little 180 and take off backwards, you know, take off, you know, toward the others. Now, my daughter was right there, and the other participants were right there around us. You know, they're, they're probably, you know, so Janet is probably 10 foot from the bridge, and they're probably 10 foot from Janet. Okay, so they're not close. But Janet got a little bit, I don't know the word, frustrated, mad. Um, kind of hollered, uh, at, at everybody saying that she needs some space. Now, now that nothing wrong with needing some space. Um, but when you are working on these things, don't worry about who is around you there. And if they feel like they're in the way, or if they feel like they're too close to where they might get kicked or be part of an issue, then they should have the decency to back off and that's fine. In this case, they were plenty far away. Janet was just getting frustrated. And, and so I said, Hey, don't worry. Don't worry about them. You focus on gypsy. And, uh, I think this made her (laughs) more mad because then she said, I just, she said she needs to calm down. And then my thought with that was, you know, how come you're riled up in the first place? So wh- when you come up on an obstacle, this is, and she later, you know, figured all this out and we talked about it and it was no big deal, but number one, don't worry about anybody else around you there. They can figure it out because you're probably running with adults, you know, and it's a different if you have little children. Um, now my daughter, Ellie is plenty. She has plenty of wherewithal to figure this out. So she's just fine. Um, but maybe if you're, with small kids, you might need to tell them where to go, stand, or go be so that you can work, and that's fine. But anyways, when you're in the moment there, focus on what your horse needs, not everybody else around you. Second, you should be totally cool and calm. You you need to portray the confidence that you want your horse or your mule to have, that this is great, this is all right, life is good. If you let yourself get worked up, you're you're not convincing the animal that this is a good idea to do this obstacle because the reason they don't want to do it usually is because they feel it's dangerous or it's a, a bit of work or it's undesirable. And so it's your job to make this question that you're asking them desirable to answer. So anyways, we, we work through that and, um, you know, the horse had these immediate, immediate hard nose and wanting to rear up and wanting to kind of turn around. And so I kind of explained to Janet how to work at it, you know, left leg, right leg and where to block. And the horse was continually whirling around to the left. So that told me that the left side was really weak. Okay. So my left leg or Janet's left leg rather needs to be more active. And I explained this to her and she got more active with this left leg blocking to where the horse was looking to go to the right a little easier. Once the horse got up to the bridge, the horse went right across. And that told me something else. It, it wasn't a big deal. It wasn't scared of the bridge. It didn't tippy toe across. It. it didn't try to run across. It, it didn't try to bolt across. It. it didn't try to whirl around. And cause she went back and forth on it a few times after that and it was, it was easy. It was not a big deal at all. It was easy. So this tells me something else. It really wasn't about the bridge it's about questions. And I kind of noticed that the rest of the week as we rode and we talked about this, a lot of times, whenever Janet would ask a question of this horse, and that could be anything, the horse had a little bit of brace to those questions. So that tells me the horse is not in a habit of saying yes. And so as we talked about this, and I hope this will help you if this fits your mule or your horse, but this is why the checklist, this is why the process, this is why asking these things and doing this, e- these easy pieces over and over, this is why it's so important to do this, to get your mule, to get your horse in a habit of saying yes, before you get to the bridge that, you know, the, the metaphorical bridge that we're talking about here, get them saying yes before that, that way they're ready when they get there, ready to rock and roll. So that's kind of the lesson learned there. Get your animal saying yes. Lots of yes questions, that'll help. And then a couple of those tips of don't worry about who's around you. Uh, I'm not saying to be ignorant, I'm just saying don't don't be focused on all that. Worry about you be you be paying attention to your mule or your horse. And then you shouldn't have to calm down because you shouldn't have <laughs> you shouldn't have got worried in the first place. So keep it simple make it easy. All right. The last friend that I want to mention today is Cynthia Petacolas. Now Cynthia drove out here to Utah all the way from Kansas. And, um, Cynthia was definitely a highlight of the last three weeks because she's not afraid to tell you how she thinks. And if she's fearful, if she's scared, she will tell you that she's fearful or she's scared. And, um, first she told us that her mule was really scared of sheep now this kind of come because you know she had come out to this clinic last year and we had you know this is sheep country out here where I live and uh, we'd come up on a couple hundred head of sheep now she she thinks there's thousands of sheep but there's only a couple hundred <laughs> and uh, anyways um she was real worried about her mule being scared of sheep and and she would talk a lot about... What she thought her mule felt, and she would say a lot of things about what she thought it was going to go like. And so we had a chat about storytelling, and this is something that we can do really easily. And and I've talked about, you know, uh, my sweet wife Sky, and and how she can tell stories really quickly in her head about how she thinks things are going to go. Um, you know, if, if I'm working with a mule that's troubled, Sky will instantly be thinking about. Oh, my gosh, he's going to get hurt. And if he gets hurt, uh, you know, what am I going to do? Who am I going to call? What? How? How is this going to go? What's he going to break? Is he going to die? Oh, no, if he dies, am I going to be a widow? Am, am I going to have to live the rest of my life? Or who, I, who will my next husband be? You know, she'll be. So she thinks she kind of goes like that. And when I was explaining that to Cynthia, she's like, that's exactly what I do, too. And I said, I know. That's why I'm sharing it. But sometimes we can tell stories about our mules too. We can say, oh, my mule scared. And we put labels on the mules. My mule scared of sheep. My mule scared of cows. My mule scared of backpackers, whatever. We can put these labels on these mules and we can tell these stories that haven't even happened yet. And, um, so a big lesson for Cynthia that week was not to tell stories. And, and I pushed her limits quite a bit. Um, on day, uh, day four, oh, excuse me. Day three, I told Renee and Janet go out there and get my cows. And so they brought my cows in and, and then I'm, t- I'm telling, explaining to the folks what I want them to do. Basically, I want them to take my, one of my yearling heifers and do a figure eight with this cow around the cones. So basically you're driving the cow, moving the cow uh, off your mule trying to get it to do a figure eight around two cones all right so it's it's not that difficult of a task but it is definitely a a task and a challenge nonetheless and um and so i demonstrate and i can tell cynthia is just stressed about this she is not thinking this is a good idea she's not thinking this is going to go good and i can tell this and so i say cynthia you're first and she's like oh my gosh me first no please no like, you got it. You can do it. And then the rest of the ladies were like, yeah, you can do it. You got this. And, and, um, she went and she did it and she did a good job at it. And it was, it was great. Um, but she was really scared. Uh, but there's something about, I said, don't worry about the mule, about what, how, you know, how you, what you think it's feeling or what, what's going on there. Uh, because the mule is fine, by the way. Um, focus on the job right now of getting the cow around that figure eight and she did it and then when she came back she's like oh man she you know it was a big bit of a rush for her and later the next day we talked about it in our morning chat and i said aren't you glad i had you go first because i could see how much stress you were building up there and had you waited for three or four more people to go and um and let that build. It might have built too much. You might have told yourself quite the story. And so the lesson is basically just take things matter of fact with the animal. Um, now there's a difference in telling stories and being prepared. I I want to be prepared. You know this is why I work on getting my mules handy, getting them, getting them with me, getting them centered is so that I'm prepared for when the animal might be scared of something, I can take care of it. That's the best that I can do. It is not going to do me any good telling myself stories. Oh, I hope I don't run into a backpacker. My mule really doesn't like backpackers. And if I run into a backpacker, what if they whirl around and what if I fall off and, and then I fall down and, and then my mule runs off, who's going to catch my mule? And am I gonna to have to walk back or what if I break my leg? And don't, don't waste your time. Don't waste your, your precious energy. On telling stories that have not even happened, the stories will come anyways. so don't need to tell stories and just take it one step at a time, keep it simple. So anyways, these I know i've I've kind of rambled on through this debrief here. you know, putting three weeks of of thoughts together and trying to do this within an hour hour and a half is kind of challenging, but Um, I, I, uh, I had a lot of fun doing these semi-private clinics the last few weeks and, and I've enjoyed the format and, um, it's been a great time. And it's also nice to have them hang out here at my house. You know, we get to hang out four days all day long and, and in the evenings get to sit and chat and it was just a really good time. And if you're listening and you want to do any one of these come to one of these semi-private clinics, you know, you can send me an email, Ty at TS Mules, and and we can put you on the list for, for next year. One requirement for these semi-private clinics is that you have to have attended a regular clinic. Uh, that way you come prepared with things to work on. So if you'd like to join us, let me know. We'd love to have you. Uh, we usually do these July and August here in Utah. So if it's not too much to ask, friends, I would sure appreciate it. If you would let me know what you think of these podcasts, tell me your favorite episode, tell me your thoughts, uh, feel free to send in your questions. You know, we do Meal Tip Tuesdays, and uh, you're welcome to send in questions for that if you like. Ty at tsmules.com. And, uh, you know, a lot of these things we talk about, a lot of these lessons, um, you can find videos of these things on our website tsmules.com click on online video library and check it out so until next time friends god bless you and we will see you down the road